this is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Without much ado, I'm going to share with you the forecast for the upcoming week this Audio is shared from a video version of this forecast that you can also access on YouTube, my channel, Sabrina Monarch. Enjoy. Welcome back. This is Sabrina Monarch of Monarch Astrology, bringing you the astrology forecast for June 23rd to June 29th, 2021. The moon grows into its fullest light in the sign of Capricorn this week. Following an opposition between Venus and Cancer and Pluto and Capricorn. Toward the end of the week, Neptune will station retrograde in Pisces and Venus will enter Leo. There is a kind of magic in this existence that is the quality of openness. The more open we are to life and exactly what is in front of us, the more blissful this existence can be. Much of the pain we experience in our life is the byproduct of resistance, not wanting to be with what is, railing against what is, fighting what is. You know that saying of pain being inevitable, but suffering is a choice. The vigilant part of us fears dissolving this resistance as it could mean accepting something that is unacceptable. The mystery or secret here is that actually being with what is allows it to pass through more completely. A heartbreak fully surrendered to and felt transitions faster than one frozen and resisted. A depression fully felt may open the way for a revelation or a breakthrough that can only happen if the call to descend was heeded. Many of us form an image of Capricorn as this mountain goat who's a climber, a social climber, a career climber, someone who gets the job done, someone who's ambitious, someone who has grit. But Capricorn is the sea goat, a mythical creature who also inhabits the ocean's depths, like tree roots underneath the soil as well, or a deep underground spring. Capricorn relates to the depths as well as the heights. As we grow in self-awareness and capacity, we learn to trust ourselves more at the edges of our range. We learn that going into our pain fully doesn't mean certain annihilation, but that we actually emerge back to the surface with greater contact with our soul. We learn that we can feel the fire of rage without misusing it or lashing out what it's like to just hold that heat in the body. We learn that we can stay calm and lucid, breathing through challenging situations instead of losing touch with ourselves and splitting off in the moment of pressure. Or let's bring it back to the body. Imagine the action you take when your breath is shallow, reaching no further than your chest, versus the way you inhabit space when your breath fills out your body and comes down to your root. 
One of the most famous diary writers of all time, Anais Nin, was a Capricorn moon. Her intensely devoted path of giving portrait to reality and her most sensitive and magical impressions has outlived her. You know, a true Capricorn legacy. I love, you know, you can think about the moon in any natal chart reflecting the light of the sun. That's what the moon is doing in space. Um, and Anaistin was also a Pisces, so she was this dreamer. But the Capricorn moon, I feel like, really materialized that through this devoted diary writing practice of capturing reality. That's such a grounded Capricorn action for the Piscean consciousness. Her words remain so real and alive and transportive on the page. As a kid, I also remember realizing that the diary was a portal to finding magic in reality, as reality already was. If reality is something to be depicted in words, then it must be inspiring. There must be something there. It's taking the raw materials of life and making art with it, showing our acceptance of it by writing it down and being with it. This full moon in Capricorn could be an opportunity to sink into the depth of what already exists all around you. It does not have to be your preference. It does not have to be ideal. But if you simply connect with what is, it reveals a new source of life and wonder to you. <clears throat> so welcome. I am about to get into our transits in more detail. But I want to share a few announcements. One is that if you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe. Leave a comment at some point to let me know how you resonate. If you're listening to this on the podcast, please leave a review. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit, so on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and then email your screenshot to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. It has one of my favorite lectures I've ever given called Play in the Evolution of Alternate Realities um, that has a lot of Leo and Capricorn themes. So it would actually be perfect for this week as a transmission. So you can get that resource library by reviewing Magic of the Spheres podcast. Um, of course, please only review if you listen to the podcast. If you follow me on YouTube, do check out the podcast. I have plenty more conversations and interviews that I don't share to YouTube. You can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch as well. Um, you know, posting thirst traps for all the transits and posting other thoughts that I don't share anywhere else. You can sign up for my mailing list. That's a great way to stay in touch with me, get the forecast delivered to your inbox every week, and also stay in the know about when my books open up. I pretty much only tell the mailing list these days um, and the readings go fast. So that's the best way to um, get a reading with me. And I also, you know, share updates about events and courses and things of that nature. I'm currently running a Kickstarter to fund a year ahead of these forecasts that I share to my mailing list in written form at monarchastrology.com and to YouTube here as well. And the podcast Magic of the Spheres. Right now at the moment of recording this, we're at 57 backers. We crossed 7K. We have 28 days to go. We will be funded if we receive a minimum of 12,000. But my goal is to pass last year's funding and... Um, Last year we made 20,000. So 
I was thinking like 22K or over this year. And we had 116 backers. So I'd like to um, match and pass that as well. So if you love these forecasts, if you love these broadcasts, um, please help support a year ahead of them. There's a lot of offerings through the Kickstarter, including a 2022 year ahead forecast, a talk on the astrological Eros, a talk on visualization magic, a new creative writing course, discounted tuition to the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. So you can look all of that up, read more about it, and back the campaign via the Kickstarter link in the notes. I also have a novel out. Um, I sat on this novel for some time. I actually finished writing it in 2015, but it was time and it's out. You can get it um, through Barnes and Noble, paperback or hardcover. Links are also in the notes. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty nervous and pretty excited <laughs> to hear what people think about it. You know, it's been um, something I've held close for some time, and I'm excited to have it out in the world. So do reach out if you read it. And I'm also looking to do interviews about it. So if you have a podcast or something like that, I would also love to be interviewed about this book. Image Hive, a new creative writing course, is available through the Kickstarter. I just made some changes to it. It used to be a series of talks, but now it will also be a live course, meaning that the talks will be delivered live. You can come to class. We can have discussion. These will be recorded um, in case you can't make it due to time, don't, time zone differences or scheduling or whatever. And there will also be like a community component. So an opportunity to share your writing and to give and receive feedback on your writing. Because whenever I've learned writing, um, it's always been you know, besides my own like private revelations with writing and in my own personal practice, whenever I've been studying writing, it's always been in groups. And there's something about the group field that feels really important. And Image Hive made it very clear, you know, all my courses they are beings. <laughs> They're not just things. Uh, Image Hive told me that it wanted to be a live course and to have community. So that's available through the Kickstarter. I'll also leave a link to Image Hive, the course description page in the notes. I have a new podcast out on Magic of the Spheres about home and belonging with Stephanie Sundara. Stephanie opened the Akashic Records and we talked about the themes of home and belonging and cancer season, right? Like the solstice was just yesterday. Um, oops, this is an old graphic. <laughs> this is the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. It's currently in session, as you can see, May 10th to August 15th, 2021. It will be open again for enrollment at some point soon. You can already sign up for the next one through the Kickstarter at a significant half-off discount. The um, Intensive is going to be raising in price by the time it runs again in probably September or October. Um, so if you want to secure a, a significant discount, you can do so through the Kickstarter um, and also stay tuned uh, for when the course dates come out for the next one. Okay, that is it on announcements and I'll get back to the forecast. June 23rd, 2021, the sun in two degrees of Cancer will trine Jupiter retrograde in two degrees of Pisces. So Jupiter just stationed retrograde 
the same day as the solstice. This is at 3.11 a.m. Pacific, Sun trine Jupiter. With the Sun and introverted connection and intimacy-seeking Cancer, and Jupiter retrograde in the dreamer and visionary sign of Pisces, this contact could be a moment of incubation. Some greater vision is gestating, a greater capacity to fill into new expanses of our essence are gestating. While this may not immediately appear to be doing anything or moving toward the goal, when we rest, nourish and imagine we nest into new realities potentially you know it's summertime at least on the northern hemisphere could be a really nice time to be outside and be in big environments that's something that stephanie who was just visiting and we just recorded like really imparted for me was that um you know stephanie's sagittarius that simply being outside Um, And not being in small rooms and having like a big landscape around you frees and opens and expands the mind. Part of a creative process occurring right now may involve acknowledging our insecurities and sourcing a more expansive or optimistic view, whether we do that internally or by talking to people who believe in us. If we metabolize these insecurities as opposed to simply being stopped in our tracks by them, working through them emotionally is like troubleshooting the issues they point to in our imagination as opposed to the 3D. So essentially, like if we have a negative self-fulfilling prophecy and we didn't take the time to revise our imagination, we can kind of walk into the fear that we've already imagined for ourselves. So I see facing our own fears and knowing what our insecurities are and working with them on an imaginal level as a way to shift the direction before the thing even happens. An example I put here was a person who may desire to be wealthier, but they also hold the belief that wealth would negatively complicate their lives or that they wouldn't like who they would become if they had more money. So these are imagination issues, negative imagination around money. And this can stagnate the desire from manifesting because there's all of these, um, quantum internal blocks, you know, say if there's like a, some kind of canal or something or, um, irrigation system through which blessings and abundance flows into our lives, like the channels, right? If the channels are clogged with, um, fear or limiting beliefs, it's harder to overcome that in the 3d. So working through this imaginatively and coming up with a different perspective, say in this example around a future with wealth, would allow for more receptivity and flow around generating abundance. Something that, you know, I also track in communities of people where people care about personal development and are actively, you know, thinking about cultivating themselves I hear people voice out loud their intentions, like something that they're actively working on. 
and it's at the top of their mind. It's something that they're thinking about and have intention around. And then you see them actually doing it. Um, So there is a degree to which cultivating and incubating or gestating a part of our experience happens on all levels, not just the action, not just the final result, but the way that we familiarize ourselves with that energy in our thoughts and emotional body and imagination. There may also be opportunities this week to allow certain parts of our identity to dissolve. Most every conflict and limitation that we face is connected to a sense of self, the part of us who is bad at relationships, you know, believes that or prefers to be alone, the part of us that is easily petty and resentful, and so on. Like the identities, the character traits. When we grow tired of these personality qualities or they are proving to no longer be adaptive, letting them go means surrendering into a deeper unknown and allowing for the loss of egoic security that these personality patterns grant. Venus in 26 degrees of Cancer will oppose Pluto retrograde in 26 degrees of Capricorn at 4.39 p.m. Pacific the same day. So I have a few podcast episodes that could be of interest. I know I leave a lot of like, kind of rabbit hole, like research things a lot of weeks. Cause I don't know, it just happens, but a few podcast episodes, we have Venus in combination with other planets with Becca Tarnas and it gets into Venus Pluto toward the end. And you'll feel like a lot of, um, these planetary or archetypal combinations really evoked in that conversation. I have an exploration of the Pluto and Libra generation with Sol Yonason. Um, and Pluto and Libra archetypally combines Pluto and Venus. So it's like a depth Plutonic exploration of the Libra archetype. But a lot of these things will sync up with the Venus Pluto mood. I also have a solo podcast I did on lessons about physical beauty. And I'll leave the links to those. Um, I think Venus-Pluto can be a very angsty relationship with Venusian things or the sense of wanting to transcend limitations. Um, So I think all of those podcasts may have some food for thought. The opposition aspect is like a full moon, which we also have this week. The full moon is always in opposition between the sun and the moon. The full moon energy is like a full reveal, a flashpoint of awareness or consciousness. For an opposition between Pluto and Venus, there is a fullness or flashpoint around themes of relationship and connection, Venus, and shadow, power, and alchemy, Pluto. So that can be like encountering someone who really stirs your soul at a deep and intense level because they possess a quality that you recognize as something that is more latent within you, or you feel like you don't have access to, or you feel maybe it's not so angsty, but it's just like inspired or drawn or magnetized. And that's like a full moon energy, but in the key of Venus, Pluto. And I think it's, you know, at a disempowered level, it's like seeing, oh, that's that person's gift. I don't have access to that. Let me shut down and close. 
as opposed to getting very curious about how is that person's beauty or charisma or confidence or talent or whatever it is that we feel magnetized to speaking to me and awakening something in me that wants to be awakened. And what would it look like in my own life? Uh, Because a lot of people shining in the full brightness of their magic, it's like they are stewarding their incarnation. They're living out their magic. We have access to that too, but it's like diving into our soul and like the raw materials of our lives and who we are and our physicality, even like whatever it is, our circumstances and finding how we can make magic out of what we are, not trying to become someone else because that other person has their own well of personal resources that they're drawing from and blossoming fully in. So the task is really to go within and find our materials and blossom them forward. The alchemy that is potential here is most available to anyone willing to take deep soul level responsibility for the patterns that show up in their lives as opposed to projecting their own material onto others and in so doing become a victim to others and to the environment rather than being a conscious creator. That's really the plutonic magic is like taking accountability for the shadow, taking accountability for our own life force and our own power, becoming deeply aware of where we leak and project our power onto other people. You know, what are we going along with? What are we hooking into? Where do we become emotionally hijacked? But then say it's something else's fault. That's like a outsourcing of our power. The Venus-Pluto field does involve projecting onto others. You know, it's possible. It happens, especially the opposition. It also involves encountering hidden dimensions of ourselves through witnessing and or being in connection with others. So if someone's stirring you in some way, taking that more personally in some sense of what is it, why does that stir you? What's happening in your deep being? Not so much a story about the other person. One impulse that can be present, especially for those who are not actively interested in shadow work, is to feel shame and repress the shadow content that comes up. To try to look the other way when jealousy, resentment, judgment, etc. comes up. Uh, to not identify with those things, to see them as bad and to judge them and not really indulge in them, but not transform them either. Doing this habitually only makes the knocks at the door louder, the triggers that evoke these feelings more intense. Alternately, if we can be raw and honest with ourselves and soberly consider the question of what is going on in our deep being such that we are feeling such intense things kick up, We might find hidden sources of power as well as where we leak our power. So, you know, back to what I was saying earlier about like a heartbreak fully felt passes easier or a depression fully gone into can alchemize. 
when we have judgments or triggers, those are also speaking of shadow processes because that's a moment where instead of being regulated and holding our nervous system, something is spinning us out. Therefore, that thing that is spinning us out has this mysterious power over us. And when we claim that power back, we become more in touch with our power, simply put. I think though that in order to be able to claim that power and come back to ourselves, there's kind of an inquiry of like, well, first of all, noticing our energy leaking in that way, instead of like turning, you know, the other way and trying to pretend it's not happening, uh, noticing those things, even though it feels ugly, even though there's shame around it, or it's like, I don't identify at an ego level or think it's good to be jealous of other people, but I am right now. So let me look at that and dissect that a little bit and come home to myself. With the opposition here being in Cancer and Capricorn, there may also be dynamics arising in around how empowered we feel in asking for help and receiving care from others and giving to others in a way that feels balanced. Shadow potentials involve indirect ploys to get what we want instead of being able to claim a desire and ask with real vulnerability, trying to save others or wanting to be saved by others. You know, when you feel like you have to fix or rescue someone or you notice yourself in a kind of helpless state and you're just passively waiting for someone to come save you. Seeing another person as the source of our own well-being and parentifying them in some sense. Realizing that we don't have good boundaries in the way we take on other people's energies or problems in a way that depletes and drains us and causes resentment. Why do we feel like we need to take on those energies? Why are those things our responsibility? What is our actual responsibility? There's something very, very primal and ancient about care in mammals. Uh, mammals have evolved to be caring because we come out of the womb, like unlike beings that hatch from eggs and come out like fully formed, you know, or like turtles that can just like swim right after their birth. Um, a lot of baby mammals go through an extended gestation period where they literally can't survive without the care of others. And so there's this long I don't have the time scale. I wish I knew in my head, like how many millions or whatever of years, but there's this span of time, like deep time of mammals basically caring for each other and caring for vulnerable, helpless beings. Um, and the genetic codes, the uh, spiritual codes, because we don't have to reduce it to the material. There could be a spiritual intention behind all of this, but the um, impulse toward care. So, it's not just the that the beings, the you know, baby mammals are receiving care. It's that the there's a caring instinct on the part of the adult mammals. Um, so that's basic. That's intensely primal. And 
it's so primordial. It carries forward in all these other areas too. Like if you, um, are in a difficult position or you break into tears and someone in your environment is suddenly moved to be there for you, there's ways that that can be distorted. Um, or like sometimes I'm like trying to think like when someone's taking it upon themselves too much to like rescue or fix or something like that. Um, but there's also like a deep truth in the emoting and the signaling of distress and the response to that distress. And it can be so pure, so true, like letting our emotions out and being um, met in that way. And then there's all these distortions of it in terms of hiding how we feel or um, trying to get attention to get help in a way that is different than just vulnerably asking for it. Like there's all these different permutations of how this primal instinct can play out. But I think that when we tap into the deep truth of it and our emotions are real, not egoic, there's a kind of magic in the environment that unfolds that is social, it's human, but it's also just so intensely plutonic, primal, primordial, ancient at the same time. I hope that that is coming through. Um, it's kind of like a big idea, big idea there. But, you know, another thing I'll say to that is that there is a sense within the um, Capricorn archetype of like needing to ask for help, needing for that to be OK, not feeling like, oh, I have to do all of this myself. And I think that there's a sense, too, of like um, openness and contraction, like revealing and then maybe feeling shame about it. And so the ways that we attempt to control or clamp down on this kind of natural emergent vulnerability process and the ways that when we don't allow ourselves to be seen, don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable, don't allow ourselves to ask for help, that we do experience a colder reality because we're not opening up to the net of support and web around us. And so if life is feeling particularly dry, cold, barren, that can be a signal that we are wanting to feel the water again, to feel the tears, to feel the emotions come through, to feel that it's okay to share or reveal. And let's segue into the full moon in Capricorn. This is June 24th full moon and three degrees of Capricorn at 1140 AM Pacific. I have a very long quote to share with you that comes from this book, Blue Truth by David Data, a spiritual guide to life and death and love and sex. So the quote goes, Oh, and I'll just say, you know, I really feel Capricorn energy in this quote, but also this lunation aspects, Neptune, the, um, or is it Jupiter? 
It's aspecting Jupiter. So Jupiter trines the sun and sextiles the moon during this lunation. Here's the quote from David Data. In deep, dreamless sleep, there is no fear. Otherwise, fear swirls through your thoughts, emotions, and body for most of your day and night. You are afraid of poverty, so you work to earn money. You are afraid of loneliness, so you try to secure intimacy. You're afraid of relaxing without a future, so you think and think and think. Fearless ease is precious. Fear abates momentarily when you open yourself in a sunset, a child's laughter, or a warm bath. Your mind opens, your heart unstresses, your body eases in pleasure. But soon, in response to a whiff of threat, imagined or real, you tense up. Your mind reels, your emotions churn, your body tightens. After a while, fear feels normal. Shallow breath, tight jaw, incessant thinking. Hey, that's life, it seems. Life seems to be suffering. You are constantly plotting, rehearsing conversations, living in apprehension. Your gut is knotted. Your heart is hardened. Deep sleep is just about the only time you aren't mulling, cogitating, or dreaming. Deep sleep feels like a dunk into unperturbed bliss, a restoration of easeful depth and seamless openness. And then as the alarm clock rings, your body tightens and your mind begins wheeling again. Remain sensitive as you emerge from deep sleep into wakeful stress. With gentle openness, feel the deep, silent peace abiding beneath the swirl of emerging thoughts, sounds, colors, and feelings. Waking life is an addition to the depth of sleep's bliss. In any moment, you can feel into the province of sleep's deep openness, even now. The silent heart hum of deep sleep lies beneath the flash of present occurrence like a deep sea of peace below a hectic churn of waves. Fear keeps your mind on the waves. Fear is attention. What will happen if I stop paying attention to everything that needs to get done? What happens if you surrender as if in a deep sleep right now? What happens if you allow action and perception to well up from open depth without effort? spontaneously springing from this source. End quote, David Data from Blue Truth. The moon in Capricorn mood is sober. Sobriety can mean not partaking in substances, but sobriety can take many other forms. Acknowledging facts as opposed to stories and fantasies. Assessing behavior more than holding onto promises. Or recognizing the work that needs to be done for change to happen, to name a few examples. Sobriety is an increasing mood as the moon grows full in Capricorn. Fantasy can both be accessed irresponsibly and responsibly. Jupiter and Pisces aspects the full moon, suggesting that fantasy, the dreamer Pisces, is part of our conversation regarding sobriety. Mm-hmm. 
Have you ever been immersed in a fantasy that you knew wasn't real, but you didn't want to take greater responsibility in the situation? In some sense, there is a lack of faith here that the real thing couldn't possibly be more satisfying than the illusion. Divorcing ourselves from a problematic fantasy is painful, but it does open the door for a more intimate relationship with life. It would be like the difference between putting on a performance in your relationships and letting people love this performative version of you, this false version of you, as opposed to dropping into your realness and being loved for who you deeply are in your fullness. Do we have the same capacity to love life, shed of the illusions that we dress it in to make it more palatable? There can be a growing awareness of how we can be responsible for taking care of our needs. Where do we need to take more responsibility? And where do we need to drop something that isn't ours to take on? The moon in Capricorn can speak of emotional strength. It can be the power to move toward a more nourishing life. So making responsible choices for long-term happiness or doing what we need to do to move forward. And doing this when we already feel under-resourced. Capricorn provides the grit to find a better foothold and keep climbing or drop into the ocean and descend. Sometimes we may let ourselves fall, be with the full depth of overwhelming emotions and find some deeper truth or unraveling there that informs informs us of what's truly important in our lives. So if we are keeping things going or staying in control, from a place of repressing some deeper impulse, it's really hard work. And so dropping that sometimes and surrendering brings us into a deeper state. And I think that what um, David Data was talking about in that quote, you know, that level of surface mulling over fear and anxiety and just being, you know, caught in that way of living, it feels like you're attending to reality because you're, you're keeping up with things and you're worrying about things But in some sense, there's still this illusory quality of it. Like there's not a deeper descent into the bottom life truth, bottom line truth of things underneath that. I think this really comes up in business or survival things too, around like making money. The sense of if that's the main concern or the main fear that there's um, it's kind of like being in this wheel and there's a lot of stress there. And sometimes the deeper, you know, spiritual plunge or the fool's jump in this is to follow your excitement, follow your destiny, do what you love to do, follow that truth of your being. And as other surface level part of us is like, but how will I survive? Right. And so if we privilege that, and make choices based off of that and let go of that deeper thing that's pulling our dharma in a certain direction. There's a conflict there. And of course, we need to pay the bills and all of that. But there can be a creative negotiation there in terms of listening into that deeper current that's calling us. Something, you know, as a prayer, 
I feel like I preface this every time prayer can be a triggering word for people because of religious conditioning, but prayer is simply talking to the universe and inviting celestial, angelic, spirit guide, etc. support. Sometimes when I need to do something and I don't feel like I have the energy to do it, but I feel like doing that thing is important and not something that I can put off. I pray for the energy. I just pray to be held in that. And there's a way that that can open up into greater capacity to do the thing. Or when I want to do something, but I'm scared and I'm having courage, right? I pray for that support and do the thing. And I think moon and Capricorn has that deep emotional strength or sturdiness because there's a sense of that moon being very aware of the density of life, very aware of the fear and anxiety, or very aware of being tired or not feeling super resourced, but being able to see that this is the path that I'm on at this moment and this is the impasse that I'm in. And can I please source, have the strength to go through this channel? And sometimes if we're caught in that loop so much, it's letting go of that limited framework that we've put ourselves inside of um, and you know feel all this stress because we have identified so much with a limited world. And so that sense of, ego dissolving or diving into the depths or letting ourselves be depressed. Reality checks as we encounter them may be augurs of a more expansive future. Expansion happens with alignment. What is not true is excessively difficult to maintain and tends to dissolve. Getting real gives us a better base for moving forward. Um, I went to see Shaman Durek speak in San Francisco um, at the grad school I was going to, California Institute of Integral Studies. And he was saying that depression is a symbol of lying to oneself. Some of my earlier depressions in life, I identified with just not knowing myself enough, you know, and being in situations that weren't good for my constitution, being in public school, things like that. And um, like just that system and how much how much that system can grain on a person. And currently, I find that when depressions come up, they usually show me something that's dying. Like this is an ego pattern you have or something that you believe in, something that you identify with. And you're at your end here with that. It's not working anymore. And I find that if that depression is resisted, it's like, shut up, don't feel that. Let's continue trudging forward. Then the revelation or the breakthrough doesn't get to happen. So I think there's also a need, you know, to be able to trust ourselves, to be able to come out of a depression, know how to pull ourselves back or how to come back to the surface, uh, to trust ourselves that we won't just dissolve there um, indefinitely. But I think that there is a moment 
at the ego level where it does feel like some kind of ego death when we really fully go into things, which can also be why being in ceremony or doing ritual or having guides or being in strong containers can be really helpful because we don't, we can collaborate with each other as beings on this planet. Like we don't have to carry all of the strength all of the time. Sometimes having someone who holds the container allows us to unravel and feel safe because there is that uh, boundary being held around us. As Data illustrates so beautifully in the quote that I shared, the stress of quote normal life can also be an illusion. Capricorn is a sign that can relate to seeing our concrete experiences as just the way things are, but social reality is a construction. Therefore, normal life is a invention of some kind. Real enough, but an invention. The deeper ocean beneath those waves is reality. At a spiritual level, rather than a societal or conventional level, Capricorn is very much the study of reality, but an ontological reality, not a constructed one. Maybe how the constructed reality fits, you know, like we do live in this universe where we are able to create things that are temporary. Like there's the infinite or the eternal from which all things spring and return to, but there's all these emanations, all these temporary forms that rise and fall. And so even too, like our civilizations rise and fall, our dreams and the things that we build, you know, come into being and then come out of being. So when we want to ask the question of what's reality, it's not the skyscraper, it's not the government. Those things are real, but they're temporary forms. So then the question, well, what's real beneath and beyond that? And what context, if I am tuned in to that deeper reality, what context can I relate to temporary things with? Just because they're temporary doesn't mean they don't matter. Doesn't mean I don't need to be in alignment and act sincerely or in reverence of life. But how would I navigate temporary forms and social reality from this deeper orientation. We have the opportunity to breathe more deeply into our physical bodies and to feel more deeply penetrated by our senses, sensing the arrival and falling away of images and smells, feeling the air on every inch of our skin or the feel of fabric rubbing up against our skin. Noticing every visiting emotion. In Capricorn reality, we can hold space for anything or restrict anything. What difference would it make to truly hold space for the nuances of your experience? In the places that you generally choose to shut down or not feel. There is an image that really stuck with me. Um, I mean, it stuck with me as a kid, but it came back as I was writing this of one of the pirates of the Caribbean um, movies. I feel like it's pronounced like Caribbean, but it's Caribbean and the Disney. I don't know. But um, one of the sequels, there was this character, don't remember his name at the moment, who 
was completely numb. Like he couldn't feel any sensation, couldn't taste food or anything due to some kind of curse. And maybe he was immortal. My, the details are really escaping me, but key point here is that he's numb. He can't feel anything, not pleasure, not pain, not neutral sensation. And at this moment that the curse is broken and he's stabbed, he is in this moment of ecstasy of feeling being stabbed and it's ecstatic because he can feel. And so I was a kid, but I got all philosophical and I was like, is pain truly painful or is it just sensation that we label as such, you know? And I was like, is pain painful without emotion? Is the pure sensation of itself actually pain or we just judge it as such? And anyway, why I share this now is that um, if we tend to have, you know, physical sensations um, and this is, you know, I'm pretty inspired by this book right now. I just was reading the first few chapters yesterday, but David Data is talking about feeling everything deeply, no matter what it is, so that you're opening rather than clenching to life. And as I was reading it, I felt like I had something stuck in my eye and I couldn't see anything. I feel like I'd gotten shampoo in my eye when I showered and it was like really bothering me. But because I was reading this, I experimented with breathing into it um, and just accepting the sensation fully, being with it 100%. And then it actually just moved at that point. So I think that there's a... Um, you know, this book was such a transmission, like it was very touching and I feel like life altering and kind of transportive, but that sense of that message of opening, feeling everything, even if it's not our preference, even if it's not pleasurable, it becomes bliss for the sake of it being something that we are fully giving permission to. So there's this grand kind of like contradiction within the Capricorn archetype, which is that it is a very controlling sign, but it's also a sign that relishes in the loss of control. And I think that that's part of the control complex is that um, that duality is just held within it. And when we grip and when we clench and when we hold on or when we're trying to change something or when we're resisting something, there is some control dynamic happening of like, I'm trying to stave off a certain sensation or trying to make something happen. And that's one shallow breath above a whole expanse of depth and bliss and magic available in this reality. Not that it's easy to let go, depending on how controlling you are or what your control complexes are. June 25th, 2021, Neptune stations retrograde in 23 degrees of Pisces at 1222 PM Pacific. Neptune can speak to us in images and moods. In some schools of thought, like Hillman's archetypal psychology, images are ontological and exist independently of us. 
instead of seeing images, so things that we conjure or appear in our mind, appear would be a better word than conjure, or a dream image, something that we see in our sleep, that these images are entities that float about and we can catch them via our sensory apparatus. Apparati? I don't know. And rather than trying to so quickly collapse a dream or an image into identifying what it means, we can let the image saturate and work us, take us on a journey. Instead of so neatly filing away a dream image by categorizing it, we can let it unravel like a thread leading us on a mysterious adventure. I find this important for astrology too. You know, I'm someone who... I don't really say that I like believe in astrology because I don't think it's something to believe in. I think it is real, (laughs) but someone could say, oh, she believes in astrology, but I see it as a reality. Um, But when I see people have a resistance to astrology because they don't believe in it, they don't think it's real or they want it to be proven in some kind of scientific, scientific method way, I feel like it misses the point where astrology touches us and moves us and speaks to the soul. And if something speaks to the soul, it doesn't matter if it's a scientific fact. And it is literally, astrology is about the placement of the planets. There is a kind of material there. Um, But it's about how it moves us. And so for me, when I hear, when I'm working with tarot or working with astrology, working with a delineation, It's not about it being objectively real or the ultimate truth. It's about what that image does as it moves and becomes a force in my consciousness. And I think that's the play that's available to us with these kinds of esoteric veins of inquiry or working with dreams is that, Um, And I didn't know this until I studied archetypal astrology or archetypal psychology. The way that I experienced dream interpretation was more like, well, what does it mean? I need to know. Like, let me decipher this dream. The idea that a dream image is meant to suffuse your consciousness and work on you was entirely kind of new and liberating. And so dreams become visitations an emotion or a mood becomes a visitation. A planetary transit is a visitation. And how we engage it and the way that it moves the story and the mythos of our life forward is the magic. Not in like collapsing that moment of the image into a, this is exactly what it means. Not that I don't like looking up, you know, what animal totems mean and stuff like that. It's it's okay to do that, but just to have that freedom of like openness that the image or the visitation can work on us for a little bit. June 26th, 2021, Venus enters Leo at 9.30 p.m. Pacific. Venus will stay in Leo until July 21st. Venus in Leo highlights the creative power of play and the way that being playful or having fun can open us up. It opens us to greater levels of receptivity. We're in a different kind of cosmic energy, right? Like when laughter is in the room, the vibe shifts. And if you're sensitive, if you're mystical, like if you feel energies, like the energy of laughter is really kind of like the veil flutters a little bit and something, something opens. 
it's not just fun, but it's a whole vortex. Venus and Leo will soon come into contact with the current Saturn-Uranus square by opposing Saturn and Aquarius and squaring Uranus in Taurus. Many of us are feeling existential and practical tensions at the moment about how we are to organize and structure our lives or to experience stability. The Saturn-Uranus square, um, there's a lot of stress in that dynamic. It's kind of like a breakdown, breakthrough transit. And I've been talking about it here a good amount, but I also have a video on just it. Uh, But if you go back a few weeks I don't know at the top of my head what it, what week it was. I'm sorry, but the week that it last exacted, I talked a lot about it. Um, Venus and Leo may represent a needed pressure valve, the need for momentary breaks from the pressures of life to enter into another world that is accessible through play. When we return to that real life, in quotes, we are refreshed and perhaps encountered breakthroughs that could only happen in the play dimension. For anyone feeling excessively serious or run down right now, Venus and Leo is a transit to lean into. In productivity-oriented cultures, play is not necessarily considered practical, but play is absolutely primal and creative and necessary. Some people um, have shame or varying degrees of shame when they're having fun because they feel like they should be doing something. And it's really important, I think, to soften that and kind of practice the play muscle and practice giving yourself permission to be in that state because even from a perspective of getting things done or moving ahead in life, if we're constantly in that shallow breath, pressure, fear consciousness, then everything's like you're just struggling to stay afloat. It's a more kind of um, difficult pattern to be in. And taking the time to actually relax, such as in deep sleep, or such as in a play state where you feel free and liberated and joyful, and you're just in the present and nothing has to get done, there's nowhere to be, There's a subconscious working there or there's a kind of magical working there that can give us perspective that actually helps us align with that which we are needing to do in our lives. Um, So when you're having an impasse and you're not sure where to go, there's only so long you can think about the problem and try to solve it versus when you just need to free yourself, get into an altered state of consciousness through the play realm and let things kind of loosen and shift magically there before you come back into kind of work focus mode. If, you know, without like play and pleasure are similar. So without play or pleasure in our lives, there's a dryness, there's a brittleness. Um, And so at a holistic level, There is a smoothness that comes from having that spaciousness to go into those states. And I think Venus and Leo will be a great abundant time to play with that. And that it is also going to rub up against that Saturn Uranus square. So there may be a sense of tension and kind of like 
push and pull around play versus dealing with like serious life impasses. Um, you know, especially if that's already where you're at, like you're kind of in a time of transition or there's major things going on and just knowing that it's okay to like give attention or give space to that pleasure, fun realm, that it's not wrong, that it's part of your holistic life. Um, and then in relationships, Venus and Leo relates to the generosity of expressing ourselves and expressing our affection and praise wholeheartedly. So expressing ourselves, there's a, um, this is like generosity in terms of you just being a person, you letting people see you, you showing up, you adding your voice, you adding your body movements, like whatever it is, like letting yourself be an energy. It's also speaking up. And letting your voice come through when you feel hurt or angry, right? Like there's a generosity in that because it says like, I'm building a bridge here to connect with you. I'm not like hiding myself from you and trying to control our relationship by manipulating the information that you have access to. I'm letting you see me. Praise, affection. It's letting people know how you feel about them being open, uh, having that courage and that leadership of heart to put that out there, even if you're not sure how it's going to be received or if the other person's going to blush or feel like, oh, that's too much. Like, you know, like that sense of you can bring that energy that lights up the whole room. And if that is the way that you choose to live over and over and over again, there is a, a massive heart expansion that can ripple through your life and the lives of people around you. So I always find it very generous when people let themselves be seen. Um, and it's something I think that's not normally included in the definition of generosity. We think of generosity as giving to others, you know, or sharing resources. But is your actual energy and essence not a gift, right? And letting it be seen, letting it circulate, letting it be part of the environment and the ecosystem um, allows it to move in circulation as opposed to being held back within. And if that's not generosity, you know, what is? Thank you so much for listening. Please pledge to back the Kickstarter campaign that I'm running to fund a year ahead of these forecasts and Magic of the Spheres podcast. The link is in the notes. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. And I hope that you have a beautiful full moon experience. Much love.